With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. All right, guys, welcome back, EYL. Um, we have a very, very exciting special episode today. First and foremost, shout out to DR. Dominican, um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even tell you, but um, a couple months ago, we were number two on the on the DR charts for business podcasts. We have a strong following in DR, and um, some of our biggest guests have been Dominican. We had um, Caesar, yeah, DJ Envy's partner. Shout out to Caesar. We had Lord of the Slums, Fernando. Fernando. Yeah, yeah, Caesar's yeah, yeah. best friend. Shout out to Fernando. And this is the other guy from Harlem. John Henry. <laughs> John Henry. Shout out to John Henry. Um, so you're in good hands. <laughs> so today we got Chef, Chef Calvin, Calvin Fernandez. Um, so I'll do the rundown. He is a legend within his own right. Yeah, prodigy, right? man. Prodigy, legend, whatever you want to call it. He has cooked for the, the uh, New York Yankees. He is... Personal chef to J-Lo and, and A-Rod? Yes, sir. Personal, Personal chef. Personal chef to J-Lo and A-Rod. He um, made Forbes 30 under 30 for chef list. Yep. He's been on TV network, on Chop, on Man vs. Child, um, Bobby Flay. Yeah. He actually defeated Bobby Flay. Beat him. Twice. We just <laughs> We're going to get into that. <laughs> he, he defeated Bobby Flay twice. He's partner chef in Last Lap, uh, which is his restaurant that he's partnering right now. And um, he was the, formerly the chef at La Marina. Oh, my God. <laughs> La Marina. A whole vibe, <laughs> an entire vibe. At the height of it. At the, at the peak. We'll oh talk, we we got to talk about I, that. I feel like I got to walk around with you on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, pull up La Marina <laughs> on a yacht. <laughs> so, um, first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate yeah. it. I'm yeah. happy to be here. It's an honor. Uh, you, shout out to you guys for doing what you're doing. Um, I got goosebumps when you were telling me what you guys were doing in D.C. because I didn't know about that. So okay. I'm happy and proud of you guys because you're always leveling up. So Thank you. Appreciate it, bro. bigger and better things on a regular basis. Yeah, welcome to the green room. Thanks for being here. That's <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so the thing about Earn Your Leisure is that we, um, it's really cool because it's a business podcast, but it gives us broad range because everything is a business. Like literally everything is a business because you're, you're making money in it. And uh, one of the things that, um, especially like for just everybody, has to eat. Right and every like that's it's, it's, it's literally <laughs> and figuratively. <laughs> you saying that is is one of the biggest reasons why I started this. Just getting into this business, I knew three things: I'll always be with friends, I'll never go hungry, and I'll always have a job because we need food to survive. That's it. All facts. You need food to live. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. And um, it's like a lot of times. So we've we've interviewed restaurant owner before, but we haven't interviewed a chef. Yeah, it's a different dynamic, and a lot of times people. It's one of those things where people love to cook a lot of times, right? But a lot of times people don't think about how can they monetize it? How can they make a career out of it? How, they scale how it? can they make a business out of it? Yeah. But you've done all of that and you're still leveling it up. And um, so it's an interesting conversation because I feel like these are these are conversations that we can have where anybody you know, could apply skills yeah. that they have and become a chef, right? It's yeah. not something that... You have to like a lot of times, like we talk about like hedge funds and stuff like that. And people get like, "Oh, this is over my head." Cooking is not over anybody's head. Right. Like you got a bag of chips in your in your cupboard. You got some 
jalapenos. You sound like it. you're doing a chop basket right now. There it is. <laughs> you got a chop basket. <laughs> Grab whatever's in the refrigerator. Whatever you got. Make a meal. So, it up. so you're a world-class chef, um, but you come from humble beginnings, but your family is a long line of, of chefs, cooks, things of that nature, right? Especially being Dominican, you come from a, a line of women that know how to cook. You know, I think what what's always nostalgic for me, I can be out the country for three months. The first thing I need is uh, a home-cooked meal for my mom. And uh, it, it's one of those things where I remember and I think about it. And when I'm creating a new dish, it's always like, how can I make this nostalgic for someone else? You know, so just like you said, with food, there's so many different outlets that you can go to creating a business. And reality is you think about how many people have started a business in their own home and how they've grown to a small little commercial and then buying the store next door and those are some of my favorite stories you know people yeah. that start small and not every even i started a, a company at one point when i was doing meal perps and we were we literally rented out an apartment and just made that our kitchen like there was no other furniture we had refrigerators in there we had shelving in there we had two ovens and trap that, that electric bill <laughs> yeah, trap box that electric bill was high but at the end of the day we we, we were doing the job yeah so you, you said you came home to a home-cooked meal from your mom but your dad is actually the chef my dad is the chef you know and then especially being an, uh, a latino you always think about um the women are the cooks you know and, mm -hmm. and if you think about restaurants 90% of the cooks are men, you know, so I'm actually happy to see that there's a lot more women in restaurants and and shutting it down There's a lot of uh, female chefs that I've had the honor and privilege to work alongside and collab with and that's something that I like to see on a regular basis as well because when you do think about um, Food and and, and love and it, it really does come from both So I'm happy to see the that on a regular basis. Now. You know, I just thought about that That's interesting because yeah, you think about it traditionally not to sound sexist But it's like most of the time in a household a woman your mom is the one that's really making one thousand. Mom, grandma, yeah. auntie, uh, that's but what it is. in restaurants, opposite, yeah. men are the are the chefs. And I think about it, it comes to a point where in restaurants you probably get paid a little bit more than your regular standard jobs. You know, like even me, I was fifteen years old and I was getting paid at that time it was like ten dollars an hour, but minimum wage was seven fifty or six fifty. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm already ahead of the game. I'm making four dollars more than anybody else and that was me at 15 so when i was getting a check of 800 dollars for every two weeks i thought i was rich <laughs> think about that now i can't i don't yeah. even leave my house if i don't make 800 dollars. <laughs> so what at what point did you did you say okay this is something that i could actually take serious you went to school for this right yeah i went to uh well it, it started in long island city high school i went to a, a high school that had the, the the program so the program was just learning how to make you know brownies and cookies and like a home ec class? Like a home ec class, I yeah. would say that. You know, but me, I was being the typical jock and I was like, I'm not gonna wear an apron. I don't wanna be in a yeah. in a place where you think about you, you know, they were my friends, but you know, we tease each other a little bit. And the last thing I need is to give my, my, my teammates on the football team and on the baseball team something else to tease me other than me being five feet tall. <laughs> Thank God for those extra five inches. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it took a lot for me to take my put my pride aside and say, All right, let me let me put my focus onto something. So Shout out to my ex-girlfriend yeah, yeah, in yeah. high school, Cause, Maria, because if it wasn't for her, exactly, right? she pushed me into cooking. You know, She wanted me to show a little bit of interest um, and support the way she was supporting me by being at every game, every match, um, being my biggest cheerleader, no pun intended, because she was on the cheerleading squad too. So she was forced to be there. It wasn't more of a... Yeah. more of a, Or maybe she chose to be there. She chose to be a cheerleader I'm going to take it on that. I'm going to take it on that. I'm going to take it on that. You're the man. <laughs> I'm going to take it on that. So if it wasn't for her, I would have never went into cooking. And... Um, she gave me the opportunity to to put my talent into something else because I was a good sports. Uh, I was good in baseball. I was great in wrestling. I was okay in football. Uh, but 
being on a platform where I'm the solo star, like cooking, that was all thanks to her. So, all right. So you went to um, CIA, which is one of the top culinary institutes in the world, right? The culinary Institute of America, the CIA, is the elite uh, school for culinary. So it's like, you know, we're the Cornell of culinary schools, you know. Um, it's one of those things where they provided a program and a way for you to learn more than just cooking. You know, I, I thought at, at 17, 18 years old, I'm here learning about wines of the world. I'm here learning. There was one of my favorite classes was product knowledge, where literally by the end of the class, you would have a table full of ingredients. You can't pick them up. You can't smell them. You can't touch them. You have to know what it is just by looking at it. Uh, but that was, I mean, there was a process for you to get Oh, there was a it. process to learn that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get that overnight. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you weren't just chosen for the school. You had to apply and go through a whole process to be so in the program. Through, through the program, I was fortunate enough. Um, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, CCAP, Careers yeah, okay. Through Culinary Arts Program. These people are the reason why I am who I am as a chef. And I say that more because it was it was more than just uh, a, uh, an opportunity to win a scholarship. They were a family. You know, Richard Grousman, the founder, uh, he was like my second dad. And uh, when he sees people that he believes in, just like my old high school teacher, Terry Matsis, you know, he's retired now. Good for him. Uh, you know, he put in effort and he put in the, the hard work to make sure that we had the opportunity. You know, I did a cooking class that led me to a cooking competition that led me to winning $40,000 to the CIA. You know, never in a million years that I think I would win a scholarship, let alone get 40 grand. How much does CIA cost? CIA now probably forty grand a year. Forty grand, yeah. So I, I saved like half. So, <laughs> so it's a two-year program. So you're, you're getting an oh, associate, two year. okay. you're getting an oh, associate's yeah, so, degree yeah. in culinary arts and business management. So aside from that, you know, I dormed there. I'm not gonna go back and home, even though I was close to home. I still, you know, took on the full college experience. Yeah, forty bands is a lot. Forty bands is a lot. <laughs> so I just let's say sorry to cut you off. It, let's just say it's fifteen years ago I graduated. I just finished paying off Sally Mae. And I got for the other I, forty. For the other forty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks like I took a long time. That was a, that was a good. Nah, day. I don't worry, I'm still paying. <laughs> um, all right, so you finished college, and then you start. You go into corporate world right after that. I started um, right after college. I joined. Uh, there was a company called. Um, there was a restaurant called Gotham Bar and Grill. So before I got into corporate, I literally did what any young chef should do, and is bust your ass for the next two years and give six months to the top chefs in, in New York City. So I worked with uh, Marcus Samuelson. I worked with Jean George. I worked with uh, Daniel Balud. I worked with Alfred Portali. Uh, that was the place where I did my six month, my 18 week internship at the CIA and then I got hired right out of college. So um, I was lucky enough that, and that was one of those things where I, I determined that I'm gonna come in early even though I'm not getting paid. I got paid an internship wage, which was still at least getting paid. How much did you get paid? I think it was like 750 an hour. Okay. After you graduated? During my internship, okay. before I graduated, I was like right in the middle. So Al Alfred Bortali, he, he's the head chef at the Gotham Bar and Grill? He was the executive chef at, at Gotham Bar and Grill for about over 30 years. He just opened, uh, it's funny because I went to Gotham Bar and Grill last night because yeah. I needed some nostalgia. <laughs> I went to Strip House and I was like, let me just go to Gotham Bar and Grill, have an amazing old fashioned and some- little flashback. Uh, yeah, a little flashback. And I walked in and they're like, uh, well, Alfred's not here anymore. He just opened up his own restaurant like three blocks away. Uh, okay. And I'm like, nah, I need to go there. But the restaurant itself, it, I mean, when he was there, was it, was, it was Michelin star. It was Michelin star. What is, what, so what is star, that? So three star, it was three star New York Times consistently for 30 years in a row, which is which is very hard to do. The highest you can get is four stars in, in New York uh, New York Times and Michelin is three. So they were one star Michelin and they were three star New York Times, which is elite. Um, aside from that, it, it's one of those classifications of knowing that you're, Branded by the Michelin Guide knows that you're 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 top of your tier. So all right, then you started working at the Strand, right? So after Gotham Bar and Grill, I did um, 
I was at the, a restaurant called uh, Cafe de Sartis, and I had my opportunity to become like a, a junior sous chef. That was the first time I had an opportunity. Um, a sous chef is a chef underneath the head chef, that right? That is correct, yeah. So yeah. it's like a Not a sushi hierarchy. chef. The apprentice. I get that all the time. There's people like, oh, so you do sushi? I'm like, <laughs> I, I shout out to the movie Ratatouille that let everybody know who is a sous chef and who is a sous chef and what they do because at that moment in my part in my life, I was a sous chef. I'm like, finally, people are going to stop thinking that I make sushi. <laughs> so what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the order? Pecking so the chain of command would be like when you first walk into a restaurant, like I did this, I, I worked as a dishwasher for a couple months. Then I did prep, which is all you do is peel potatoes, clean vegetables, um, literally all the dirty stuff that people don't think about because we come into restaurants as cooks and things are ready for us. Like, I don't have to peel my own garlic. I don't have to peel my own shallots. I don't have to peel my own potatoes. I don't have to peel my own onions. When you do these cooking shows, you got to do everything. You you take for granted that you don't have your prep cooks or, or, or your, uh, um, with you, you know, to help you out. But you have that chain of command of prep cooks. Then the very next step is garmanger, which is salads and cold appetizers. Then uh, if you're good at that, you move to hot apps, which is usually like little pastas, risottos, seared foie gras, depending on a restaurant. I did 10 years in French. Um, I was classically French trained working at restaurants like, um, you know, Cafe des Artis and with Jean George and Restaurant Danielle. But those are all like little six month stints. Um, I just wanted to learn a little bit from all of these great chefs and knowing that my foundation later on, I was still going to use a little bit of what they taught me. Um, and then after the Cafe de Sartis, I got an opportunity to become an executive chef at the age of 22. Um, in Westchester. In Westchester. Westchester, White Plains. Yeah. Where at? Antipasti was the name of the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, Antipasti. Yeah, yeah. And it was an Italian restaurant. I'm like, shit, I don't even do Italian food. Why are you even <laughs> offering me this job? At 22 years at old? At 22 years old. And there That's was a crazy. guy, shout out to Orlando Santana. I don't know where you are, but thank you, my man, because if it wasn't for you, I would have continued to doubt myself. And he told me. I remember I said, how am I going to be a chef at 22? I'm going to need to know all the answers uh, that the guys are going to ask me. He's like, dummy, you're going to know the answers because it's going to be your food. And I said, shit, this guy's right. All right, let's do it. And uh, it was it was a memorable experience. Um, I was a chef at 22. I saw my name on the menu for the first time. And I learned how to do Italian food thanks to the, the sous chef that was there. I inherited John... Um, I don't remember his last name, but John was amazing at Antipasti. We're friends on Facebook. I'm going to send you a message <laughs> and tell you to listen to this. But John, he taught me how to make pizza. He taught me how to do fresh pasta. And he taught me that uh, his secret was putting some truffle oil and chocolate cake. And still to this day, I do that. <laughs> so when people ask me what's different about my chocolate cake, I'm like, I can't tell you. But I just no, told everybody, that, it's, truffle oil. it's truffle oil. So, 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 so like, all right, because you're, 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 um, you're in a different market than like, uh, you're in a high-end market. Yeah. Like going to the, your education and working in like a New York City or L.A. cities like that. How how much money do chefs get paid? Like top the top chef, the sous, the sous chef, the prep. Like what's the it all? It all depends because even my even me, I'll tell you when I made my most money was as an executive chef was when I was 22 years old and I was making 150 grand and I made them pay me because I was leaving New York City, right? So in Westchester, you made in that Westchester, yeah. oh, so, so I made that money in Westchester. Left Gotham. I left Gotham. I, I left Cafe de Sartis because the general manager at that restaurant was going to go to be the general manager at Antipasti. And uh, he took me with me and I said, this is what I want to leave because of course, at that time I was like, I live in Queens. <laughs> at that point I was living Where in Queens. Where is White Plains? Where is White Plains? <laughs> I gotta take Metro North. I've never done that in my life. <laughs> I gotta pay $200 a month for a train ticket. I'm like, I need to allocate all these things into my, into my salary. Yeah. Um, but I got a reality check right away when um, I left Antipasti and I came back to the city and I knew that 
taking a step back. Sometimes you got to take a couple steps back to move forward. So um, here I am, 24 years old. The reason I left Antipasti was because the restaurant was going um, out of business because of things that happened previous to me arriving there. There was just no fixing that. And uh, they went to court and the judge ordered that the company get dismantled and everybody share their, sell their shares. Um, so to me, it was another learning step. You know, I, I was an executive chef. Here I am, 24 years old, coming to New York City, trying to apply for all these executive chef jobs. And everybody was like, who is this kid? Like, why is he here? We're looking for an executive chef. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at you as a kid because Absolutely. most guys that no. are executive chefs are, what, 40, 50 35, years old? 40, yeah. Nowadays, yeah. You, you have different types of chefs, you know? So you see the inspirational people that, um, you know, there was a movie called uh, Chef Lynn where there's this kid who was 15 years old and, you know, he learned by reading books and watching YouTube and he literally has his own restaurant at like 22 years old downtown in New York City. So, like, I'm inspired by that story. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that story while I was at La Marina and he came out front page of the New York Times. I'm like, there's no way that this kid is a chef. There's no way. I'm like, I worked my ass off to go to school and, and work for all these chefs and he's worked for nobody and he's a chef. I went to have his food. He's a chef. <laughs> so his documentary, he's a chef. He, you know, it, it's a whole different, a whole different perspective of what types of chefs they are nowadays. You know, like I was, I had a meeting with one of my friends last night and she has her own um, meal prep service and she doesn't want to call herself a chef. She doesn't want to buy herself, herself a chef jacket. I'm like, you deserve to call yourself a chef. You do the food, you create the menus, you taught yourself. It's okay. You're not an executive chef, but you are a chef. So that's why I say there's lots of different levels of chefs. Um, but yeah, I, I learned the hard way because people were looking at me and, and I was young and I was always hungry. So I just needed to get to the point of being able to cook for you. If I can cook for you, I want, I already know that. So as an executive chef, if you're trying out, it's not just a resume, you have a portfolio mm. and you do what's called a tasting. So you're offering me a job before we even talk numbers, we got to see what you can do. So you, I mean, as the executive chef, you obviously create the, the, the menu, right? So you're doing the appetizers, the entrees, the desserts. Are you also creating the pricing? You're doing the food costs. Yeah. You're doing the pricing. So I, you have to learn. That's why if it wasn't for culinary school, I wouldn't have known how to do food costs. I would have known what labor costs was. Can, can you talk, can you break about that? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So cost? basically what? for you to make money, you multiply the weight, the amount of what a food costs by three, I would say. Higher expensive fine dining restaurants will do it by four. So for example, um, if it costs me to make a, uh, a hamburger, right? I'm not gonna make just any hamburger, I'm gonna make Chef Kelvin burger, right? So it's gonna, we're gonna put it on the menu for $18. So for me to make money, that burger cannot cost me more than $6. So that's the patty, the buns, the condiments, the french fries, and the labor to make that dish. So for you to make money, you always multiply things by three. Um, depending on what the business is. So for you to learn about food costs, it really, you have to break down how much does the four ounces of the meat cost? How much does one burger bun cost? How much does one slice of lettuce cost? Here's one tomato. How much does a case of tomato cost and how many slices of that tomato do I get? So to really break it down, it takes a lot of work to do food costs, but only the most successful people are the ones that do their food costs right. And that's, that's true with any business. And I'm glad you said that because a lot of time people go into business and they just wing it. They just wing it. It's yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to charge, I'm going to charge, I'm going to Costco, I'm going to Sam's and I'm just going to charge $12. No, yeah. it's fact. It's like, yeah, I'm going to charge. Show me how you decided to charge that $12. I think people will pay $15 for this fish sandwich. So I'll charge $15. Like, yeah. it's and like, you wouldn't know that it costs you $8 to make it. Is that it is no rhyme or reason yeah. why you're doing it. You're yeah. just winging it. And that's like I said, that's that's true in the food industry, but that's true in any like, industry. Yeah. And it's like you got to have a set formula to know how you, you got to have a profit margin. If not, 
You're screwed. You're, screwed. You're gonna yeah. be in debt. <laughs> Absolutely, and nobody business. wants a, a business that's not making money. So what? What else? Is, like business side, did they did they teach you? In, in aside school? from food costs, labor costs, it's it's how to treat people, people management. You know, and I always joke around that on my, <clears throat> excuse me, I always joke around saying that on my resume, I'm a professional babysitter because you have <laughs> to be able to manage people, and there's so many different personalities. There's so many different people. How people were raised, how people grew up, and what restaurants they grew up in. This is why my best advice is if you want to be great, surround yourself by greatness. Surround yourself by people that you aspire to be like. Surround yourself by people that you want to be better than in a sense of greatness. Um, and that's why I've worked for all these great people. And I learned how to manage people because of I always treated people with respect. There was a restaurant that I worked at in the beginning of high school years where my weekends, instead of playing baseball with my friends, I'm here at a restaurant volunteering my time just so I can learn and know to make sure that if I want to go through this career before I go to culinary school, before I sign that $40,000 Sally Mae uh, loan, do I want to be in the restaurant business? So I volunteered my time. I worked at this place called The Water's Edge in, in Queens, and um, I worked for a chef uh, who was like, you know, have you seen Gordon Ramsay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let's put Gordon Ramsay times 10. Uh, oh, wow. Shout out to George Mazaroff. I love you. He was like dad number three. But he he was tough, man. Mm. And I was 15, 16 years old, and I'm getting things thrown at me. I'm getting called every name in the book. Um, the moment he found out I was Dominican, he's like, ah, oh, that explains it all. You're a Dominican handicap. And I'm like, wow. And I, and I knew what he was doing wasn't right, but to me, it made me tougher, right? It, 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 I grew to a sense of I became a man a lot faster. But I also knew that I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah. No matter how talented he was and still is, I was not going to treat my staff like that. Yeah. It's a lesson. So what's the, what's, the, what's the labor cost? So labor cost, when you come to labor cost, you think about how much money people are making per hour. And an example, there's restaurants where if you're in a hotel and corporate, you're, you're making a lot more. You're probably making double to what chefs and cooks normally make. In restaurants and that's just because I've had the opportunity to work in both um, so let's say for example when I was at the Strand Hotel it was a non-unionized hotel when we first started um, and I was there for about six years and then I left to open up blend on the water which is my first Latin restaurant um, and then after that the Marriott Vacation Club company came in bought it out and when I got there I came back but I saw it anyway is I don't ever like to go back to something but for me it was like oh it's corporate now it went from a small boutique hotel to the Marriott. Maybe this is what's right for me. Maybe I do want to be a corporate chef. Maybe I want to be able to have my food in multiple Marriott's. But when I got there, all of a sudden, the dishwasher who was making $10 an hour is now making $20 an hour. Mm. The line cook who was making $17 an hour now is making $27 an hour. So now it's like, I can't have a successful kitchen doing the food that I do because now I can only have one dishwasher. Now I can only have two cooks, not four. Or so, it cuts into your margin? cuts into my margin because mm. at the end of the day, your labor cost has to be, um, you think about this, you have, there's 100%, right? Your food cost has to be under 30%, right? Your labor cost has to be under, let's say 20%, 20 to 25%. Then you have to think about liquor costs under 18% because all this is cutting into your profit. Mm. Then you think about rent, think about electricity, water. You're left with like 10% at the end of the day. So the the more that I save on food, labor is the more money that gets into the pocket of the business. That's a typical par- profit margin for restaurants, ten percent. It's tough. That's why a lot of restaurants go uh, out of business. There were times where I saw where we made two point two million dollars, and after after all expenses, we came home with two hundred thousand dollars. 
yeah. after two point. We did an episode with a restaurant owner in Baltimore. Shout out to Derek Falcon, and he his thing was a unique strategy that he has. But he only uses mixed use properties for his thing because um, he gets the rent from people that live upstairs, and it subsidized. It takes less pressure off of him. Hit the restaurant. How you feel about 100%, that? Hundred percent. No, it's yeah. smart. You're finding ways to make more money in your pocket. That's no, I was gonna say another thing. He doesn't open every day. Yeah, so. and you don't have to open every day. Right. People, people are so afraid of. Granted, I see the mentality of the day that the the, the moments that were closed are opportunities to make money. Yeah, that's also opportunities for you to lose money. Um, it's okay to have Monday, Tuesday off. Guess what? Now you have a staff that's happy because everybody has two days off consecutively. This is a, a business where. You know, I'm grateful when I get two days off in a row, but I'm now I'm at a point where I make my own schedule, but I'm also a hustler. I also love money and I also love working. So I, 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 this is busy season for me. I'm lucky if I have three days off this month, you know, but I also take the whole month of January off. So it, it, it there's, there's, a, it <laughs> works a, out pretty well, right? Nice luxury to have. <laughs> it works out pretty well. And I also, I also take off two weeks for my birthday in July. So it, it's the heat of the business. But at the end of the day, I put myself in a position where I, I deserve that and I earn that. You but earned again, your, you earned your leisure. You earn your leisure. But again, <laughs> other than that, you see me hustling every single day. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm always working, whether it's doing a video on YouTube now, whether it's um, speaking at, at, a, at a high school or a, a, a elementary school, um, it's me at last lap, or it's me doing a private dinner for 20 or doing a private dinner for 10 or doing an event for 150 people. So uh, I'm grateful that because of what I do, I do so many dope different things on a regular basis. Well, dope. that leads us right into our next segment. We're going to talk about some entrepreneurial stuff that you do and uh, yeah, take it from there. Damn. All right. So now we're going to go into the second segment and um, I wanted to just talk about a couple of um, things that we spoke about off camera. Um, you talked about you, uh, you did the pop-up dinners. That became wildly successful, right? Yeah. Can you it, talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's one of those things like I'm getting goosebumps now because I got a, another pop-up dinner that's coming up on uh, a, the 19th and the 20th of December. Um, but we got into that because of not being in a restaurant on a regular basis. My demand was higher. The only way that you can have my food is by you booking me. So it's kind of me like forcing the other hand. It's like, if you want my food? Book me. You book me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to lie. What I do with food changes the way that you see food. For example, if you have my mac and cheese, you'll never see mac and cheese again unless it's my mac and cheese. Because every time you take a bite of someone else's mac and cheese, you're like, damn, it's good, but this is not Kelvin's. What do you, what do, you do with the mac and cheese? Just yeah. textures and oh flavors and... Like I'm salivating <laughs> now. I'm, yeah, I'm being hungry thinking about this, man. We are, it, we about to put a new standard, man. All chefs, restaurants, y'all gotta restaurant, bring food with y'all. You should have told me that we're gonna make something happen. <laughs> now you brought something, something else that we're gonna yeah, talk about. I want something else, but I can never come in empty-handed. I always introduce myself with food, but today I introduce myself with something else we will talk about later. <laughs> you, the only way that they could eat your food is by booking me. Yeah, that so, was the only way. So what, what restaurant were you at at that time? At that time, I wasn't at a restaurant. Okay. It was the first time that. Um, it was 2018 uh, when the Marriott Vacation Company closed down. Uh, they just decided they didn't want a restaurant. No matter how successful the restaurant was, we weren't making money. And the reason we weren't making money because the labor was too high mm. and there was nothing I could do. Yeah. I was on the line. And th that's something when on the line means I was actually cooking the food. That's a line cook's job. You know what I mean? As a chef, I'm creating the menu. I'm teaching the line cooks how to do food like me. And that's what I think makes me a little bit successful on the end where I really take into consideration the teaching part. I mm. love to teach, right? So if you're one of my employees Sorry. and we got a new menu, me and you are going to cook salmon side by side for two weeks straight. Yeah, so I'm, I, in my mind, I don't I mean, I work with kids, so I'm thinking like the line cook is like the minion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they, they, right? like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're your minions. They, they absolutely are, and they're only as good as how you train them, right? Okay, got you. So 
<laughs> and I'm grateful that everybody that's been a part of my team is just now, like 10 years later, five years later, even two years later, like I'll take the biggest example was La Marina. La Marina was one of the best teams that I've ever assembled in my entire life. And I'll say that because it was such a big team, so much, so many different personalities, so many talented chefs that are all executive chefs now, like uh, Trill Cooker is uh, Chef Jose de Jesus, one of my road dogs. This guy has been with me for about four years and he has his own pop-up dinners in his home. Like he does infused cannabis dinners as well. He does... Um, he comes on the road with me when I need to go to J-Lo and A-Rods, you know. So, yeah, I want to talk about the pop because that's interesting for a few different reasons. So, you, all right, so you built a following on social media at the time already. Th th yeah, thanks for the, doing the food shows, doing Food Network, doing Be Bobby Flay. That also helps out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, um, so, so, the pop-up. Can we get back to that? Because that's yeah. an interesting business model. So the pop-up, the reason we did the pop-up was because we wanted to do something once a month, whether it was a pop-up event where it was like Friendsgiving, we sold tickets online. They sold out in one day. We're like, okay, this is, this is we're on to something. What's the Friendsgiving? So the Friendsgiving was around Thanksgiving. We would do almost like um, we rent out a loft. We'll invite 100 people. You buy tickets online. You get food catered by me, whether it was past hors d'oeuvres plus an actual meal. Um, I'm always fancy. So we, we did like a, the first meal was an actual Thanksgiving meal. You get turkey, caramelized Brussels sprouts, stuffing, and and gravy and then the next meal would be like something latin like penne which is like a roasted pork uh with um mac and cheese and and something else and then of course you get my arepas it's not an event if my arepas are not there <laughs> and if people walk into the building and they see me the first question is are we having arepas and that has to be yes sometimes people don't book me for arepas and i tell them if they're yelling at me i'm gonna point them to your direction you're taking that hit not me <laughs> So I learned that the pop-up thing was 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 such a big demand because already I'm not giving you the luxury to have my food on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So every time I did a different pop-up, we wanted to do like a tacos and tequila. So we'd rent out, it would be summertime, we'd rent out a rooftop and do a dope event like that. And then I started noticing that I wanted to do more of a sit-down experience. So Valentine's Day was like the first time that we did. We rented out a place in Mott Haven. It was called Motley Kitchen, which yes. was not known for... Um, being a restaurant, it's just a bakery. Mm -hmm. And out of that bakery, they do catering. So I rented out the spot. Uh, we did 50 people three nights in a row, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sold out. Um, and then from that moment on, I was just like, people will follow me wherever I wherever I am. So how much money were you making off the pop-ups? Off the pop-ups, let's say, that's when I would be making, it depends on location. It depends on the rent of the venue. At the end of the day, I always try to make 25% to 30% profit compared to like what we talked about 10% profit in a restaurant. How many people are going with you? How many to do an event? To do an event? Yeah. Depending on the size. So for that, I had three cooks. I had a host, which was my best friend. Uh, shout out to Eric. This guy has become like my manager, my assistant, my brother. Um, but I also give him love because he got to be in some dope commercials with me too. So um, he was a host. I had... Um, three servers, so I would say a team of about less than 10, but about seven to eight people. Mm -hmm. uh, but depending on the, uh, on the on the event, like I have another event that we did with um, the NFL Amazon, and we had a team of 14 people. Uh, it all depends on what we need to produce as, as a team. Um, and me, I'm so hands-on, so I'm always still cooking. I need to learn sometimes to take a step back and let the team make me proud like they like they always do. So like the event in Mount, Mount Haven, because I'm interested, I'm going yeah. somewhere with this, like how much would you say? So we charge $150 per person, 50 people per night, which was like, let's say $4,500. And then after that, we paid 
a thousand dollars for the venue for three days, or it was like sixteen hundred for three days because we got it three days consecutive. It was a, it was a deal. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a negotiator. I will negotiate to as much because I guess at the end of the day, I learned if you don't ask, you'll never know. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're charging me five hundred dollars per day, I'm like, can you give me four hundred per day, and I'll give you three dates in a row instead of just one event. Um, so on and so forth. So you need to be able to learn how to talk, learn how to negotiate. And at the end of the day, you offer a barter. You know, I'm very big on barters where I'm like, okay, if you give it to me at this price, I'll give you two tickets to the event as well. You know, mm. so you, you need to be able to learn how to work with people. Um, I was fortunate enough that my partner for this events, he was great on getting liquor sponsors because that is where, and the reason why we made money. Cause if I had to put out a pocket for, for liquor, that's gonna kill you. That's gonna kill us. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we're already paying for food. We're already paying for a venue. We're already paying for staff. Take off that liquor, and that's the money that we're making. Okay. So that again, not every event that I do, I get a liquor sponsor, but I try to. Okay. So like five thousand profit. Out of three days, five pro- five thousand profit split between me and my partner. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the reason why so it's like twenty five hundred dollars. Let's yeah. just say. So, but that's not bad for, for not a weekend. It's all about creativity. So it's like a lot of times, if you're not familiar with New York City, Mont Haven, South Bronx, South Bronx, South Bronx, not really the best neighborhood. But up and coming. Yeah. It's a good thing to buy something now because yeah. they're. Yeah. It, it's gonna, it's gonna be big. Homo, it's gonna be big. Homo, homo so, Frenchie. Yeah, so, homo so, Frenchie. So, yeah. so, so, so there's a few different lessons in that. I think um, exclusivity is very important, um, and it's like people. The more sometimes the more you make yourself available, you devalue yourself. It's like Supreme, the clothing Absolutely. line, right? It's like people will play a, pay a thousand dollars for it because you can't get it. It's not like easy to get, right? Right. Even like with the marathon clothes right now, rest in peace to Nip. But it's like. People is lined up around the corner for the pop up store because you can't really get the clothes. Like it's hard to really get right now. It takes right? like four months to get it right now. So <laughs> by you by you making yourself like the pop ups like once a month, however you was doing it, it's like now it's a whole event as opposed to just having a mom and pop shop. You're just selling food every day. It's like they just walk past you. You come out once a month, and you got to be creative. So it's like you didn't pick the most expensive real estate in New York City. You you picked. The hood. And, put, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm not afraid to pick the hood. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's times where, like, the event that we're doing on 19th and, and the 20th, we paid prime dollar for 37th Street between 8th and 9th, you know? But at the end of the day, it depends on the event that we're doing and, of course, the network. And, and you're at that point in your career. Yeah. But I, f- for, like, for people that's just starting out, a lot of times it's like they feel intimidated. But it's like work with the resources absolutely. that you have. I think that's so important that you're saying that because you have to be able to... No budgets. Like you said, you're not going to be successful if you're breaking even. You're not going to be successful if you're not charging the right prices. You know, of course, I wasn't able to charge $150 if this was 10 years ago for me and my brand and who I am now. But with the accolades and with the awards and constantly winning, you know, an award after an award and the people that I cook for, it's vouching for itself. And I always joke around and I say my food is all hype until you finally experience it yourself. Mm, Yeah. And I was just telling I was telling one of my friends this the other day because we were talking about like a business and um we was talking, actually, Jamal actually said it originally, and I, was, I relayed the message, and it was like, the business is only going to bring, like, let's say, like, 2000 a month. And at first, I'm like, that's not worth it. Like, that's 2000 But then I, I was, I'm like, thinking about it, like, well, that's 2000 It's an extra 2000 <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You do that five times, now you got 10000 So Easy. it's like, it's not about hitting, it's never about hitting home runs. Absolutely. It's never, because if you play baseball, you don't you don't swing for a home run. You swing and eventually you'll hit a home run if you're strong enough. But you don't plan to hit home run because you just strike out. It, like it's never about home runs. It's about 
consistently building your name, building your brand, getting 2,000, 1,000. That adds up over the course of time. A lot of times people like, that they want to just make. going up. <laughs> and that's why I wanted to ask how much you made too because that's kind of what I figured you made. And I, I people get intimidated like, I got to make 50,000 for a weekend. It's like, yeah. not when you first start. That's not yeah, how it I'm works. I'm saying like, you make 2,500, like, that's somebody's month. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're absolutely saying? right. And, I, and, I, and I've thought of that. And there's certain times where I haven't made money on events because you have to understand what is this event bringing to me also? Is it an event that I have influencers that are going to every single person tag me in their Instagram posts because those are deals that I made, I have made too. And I was afraid to make those in the past until I finally made one. And I was like, holy shit, I just got 1,500 new followers in a day? Yeah. Like how? Because every single person that was there was an influencer or was in their own um, in their own life a star, whether it was a singer, whether it was an actress, whether it was a, a songwriter, whether it was an artist, whether it was a, a banker. They were all at the top of the game at that. And when I did that event, I was like, okay, I need to find ways that I can yeah, you do more of that. Because now the product is going to speak for itself. Because the product is right? going to speak for itself. You know people are posting, people are eating, they're having their reactions. And all of a sudden, out of those new 1,500, guess what? I just made some income from those people booking me. Yeah. So like you said, supply and demand. Um, and then also you have to make sure that... Like you said, I'm doing an event on the 19th and the 20th. That's one of the most expensive events I've ever done. I'm doing a collab um, with uh, Griselle Valle, which is an incredible woman, incredible voice. And we're charging $175 per person. you know. But at the end of the day, people don't know the expense that comes into pulling off an event in New York City on 37th Street. <laughs> where, you're, where you're just buying a raw stage, a raw form where you have to buy stage and lights and, and the highlight of, and, <laughs> of the holiday season and the holiday season where <laughs> Christmas is in two weeks. And that's why we sold it two months ago where we yeah. sold out again in one day. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to say that, like you said, supply and demand. If you put yourself available every single day, I'm not going to sell an event out every single day. But if we do it once a month, guess what? People talked about it for a whole month. We're posting for the next one. We're going to do it again. Already, people haven't experienced I'm glad it, you said that. And all, <laughs> people haven't experienced this event, and they're, yeah. when's the next? When's that's the a, next? I mean, that, that sounds how like, is the hype so high? We haven't even done it yet. That, that sounds like an event that we just did in D.C. I love that. And yeah. the streets, just, we got the streets going crazy. I love that. Atlanta, don't play yourself. Hey. Don't, yeah, we're telling you now. Don't waste <laughs> I think I'm going to come. <laughs> so, yeah, can we is. talk about um, another thing that you did, um, Coach? Coquito. 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 Come on, Coquito. You've, had, you've had it before. Coquito. There we Coquito. go. Man, you yeah. sounded like a pro. Now, Puerto, Puerto Rican drink. Traditional, classic Puerto Rican, Love I would it. say Thanksgiving holiday, holiday drink. Season. Yeah, like, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and maybe New Year's, but that's a little push. That, that's always the gift that they give you. No, no disrespect. No, no, no disrespect. You go to a Latino's house, they have Coquito in the fridge. They got like 17 bottles in the fridge. So if you're from New York City, you know you got Boricuas, yep. Puerto Ricans. You got Dominicanos, yes, Dominicans. Don't leave us. Don't do that. They're different. Don't don't ever confuse. <laughs> you got Jamaicans. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ever confuse the two. Right? They have different cultures, different foods, different vibes. But so many similarities. For sure, like we all do. Absolutely. Um, but that particularly is <laughs> a Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican, yeah. That's a Puerto Rican thing, right? It's traditional. So you being a Dominican, what what made you do that? I did it as a joke. I did it as a joke, uh, kind of like um, spur of the moment. No, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. And, I, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, let's test the market. This is like five years ago, you know, where Chef Kelvin was finally building his brand. And I'll talk in the third person now because even in the streets, <laughs> even in the streets I'm not Kelvin anymore. Chef it's Kelvin. Chef Kelvin. Yo, yeah. Chef. 
I remember I was on the train once, and somebody's yo, chef. I'm like, oh, shit, I made it. <laughs> somebody's calling me out on the train. I was like, damn, I can't be on the train no more. <laughs> I'm joking around, you know, but in reality, it, it, the coquito is traditional Puerto Rican. So I did it, and um, I'm like, let me find ways to, what makes a chef unique is making something that's classic, traditional, reinvented, right? So I didn't reinvent the wheel when I made this coquito. I just made it mine. I'm like, everybody makes it with Bacardi. Let's make Hennessy. Everybody uses these ingredients. Let's use those ingredients, but let's add something else into it. I can't tell you the secret. Um, <laughs> and then again, everybody uses cinnamon. I'm going to use exotic spices. Like, I'm using... You're privy to them. Yeah. I, things that I've used in cooking. So, like, like, that's the cool thing about it. I'm thinking of making coquito as, like, making a dessert for me. Because in reality, it, it's a little bit sweet. It, yeah. It's thick in flavor. It's coconutty. And it's... I use it for, like, French toast batter now. Yeah. I use it to make ice cream. I use it... To let's take that to the next level. So, of course, when I make coquito for the first time, there's a lot of you know people saying that's not traditional, but it's okay. I'm not looking to be traditional. Yeah. I'm looking to be Chef Kelvin. So I'm making coquito. That's why my coquito says on the label, coquito by Chef Kelvin. Yeah. If you're looking for traditional, like I'm sure you can find those out there. <laughs> and again, there's plenty of room for all of us to eat. I know I had people hit me up on a regular day. Like, Please don't sell your coquito in Jersey. Please don't sell your coquito <laughs> in Brooklyn. Like you already do enough. I'm like. But I want more. Yeah. What's so, the problem with wanting more? So how'd you so how'd you get that out? I posted it on Instagram, man. I posted it on Instagram. Back then I had like thirty thousand followers. I'm blessed to have like almost sixty seven, sixty eight now. Um and uh, I posted it and I, I said I made it for myself. I wasn't even selling it. I was like, I just made Henny Coquito right away. Um there were no DMs back then. There were just comments. So I posted it on my page and I got flooded with comments in like the first five minutes. Now you said you said the magic word. Hennessy. Hennessy. Yeah, <laughs> Hennessy. And uh, they're like, are you selling? And I was like, nah, I'm not selling. <laughs> so I just made it for my friends. We had it. Then the next year, I was like, let me just make 20 bottles. Let's see what happens. I made it. I sold out in 10 minutes. And I said, all right, we're going to make a business next year. Because again, you, you, I knew I didn't bite off more than I can chew. I wasn't ready to start a business. And I wasn't when I launched it in, in 2016. Um, but I was fortunate enough that I was working at La Marina. And I had a, a kitchen of disposal. They were only, they were only open for uh, a season season so when we were there in the winter it was just for private events so i ended up using their kitchen to make coquito and i paid some guys that were on my team they're loyal alex and david these guys have been through everything with me and they're both at uh, last lap so even though i'm not at last lap you know you can get great food with them um but we started a business we we got labels we got gift bags we started answering made up an email we made up a a, a venmo a cash app a, 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 an, opened up a bank account and we opened up a business how much how much did you sell First year of officially selling, we sold 250 bottles, which I thought was not bad for, we started late. We started only in December. Yeah. Following year, uh, we sold 500 bottles. Um, and now we're in uh, unofficially year five. Um, we've already sold 600 bottles and we're not even at peak season yet. So Christmas is our big one. Um, we're, we're looking to sell about three or 400 bottles. The reason why I love that story also, see, this is all things that, especially food, it's like your grandmother, your aunt, your mom makes <laughs> makes these these, yeah. these homemade rums and all of these stuff, but it's like if and people like it, right? But it's like, why is it just limited to your family? You're absolutely yeah, right. Why, why, you're absolutely right. Yeah. We, you can you can sell anything unless the product is good, hmm. and you can't be afraid. Again, don't reinvent the wheel. Like I said, I'm not doing nothing new. I'm just making the version. I'm making it mine. I just made it a little bit different. 
I'm using Madagascar vanilla bean. That's why you know it's expensive. Mm. <laughs> Each vanilla bean is like $5. Is that the, is that the secret? <laughs> that is one of the one secrets. Of them, one but of them. At the end of the Earn your leisure exclusive. Nah, I, I gave you one secret already. I gave you one secret already. We, we got some here, y'all. We're going to try it after this. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I gave you one secret already. And I tell people, I'm like, it's vanilla, it's vanilla bean is special. It's... It's the, the reason why you see the specs in the, in the vanilla ice cream. You know, it's, it, it's the reason you see the specs in the creme brulee. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the, the special spices. That and, it's, and it's always about... And the love. Bro, you can't, <laughs> can't, love. You can't duplicate that. Yeah. But it, it's always about being creative too. And it's like, we're going to talk about La Marina, but La Marina is only open for two months of the year, right? Three months? I, was, I would say more three, pushing four. So and four. and it's special it open, events. It would open April and it would close, I would say beginning of September it was closed. But you had access. To I had you. access full year, yeah. Year round. So now you use that to pretty much have a free kitchen. I found ways, yeah. To, I asked, you know, I said, hey, you guys are not doing anything. I even offered to rent. They're like, nah, because at the end of the day, the way that no one knew really about my contract, but the way that my contract worked, again, I'm not a greedy guy, so I understand things. If, if we were not open full year, I wasn't expecting to get paid full year. But what I did want was... The times that we were just seasonal, you put me as an independent contractor and you would still pay me 50% of my yearly salary. So I was still getting a check every week, mm. but it wasn't the full 100%. So I needed to find ways hey. to make money. Yeah, you had access. I had access. Yeah. Okay, now I'm going to start doing caterings. Now I'm going to start, you know, doing coquito. Now I'm going to start, and that, the opportunity was there. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to yeah. do things that I wasn't expecting, and I also wasn't desperate. I was patient throughout the whole process. Like I said, I sold 20 coquitos year one. We're at 500 now, and we're not even halfway through our season. You are can, can we, Dominican. Dominican. Selling coquito. Dominican and, selling and, coquito. And, and on Dykeman. <laughs> Uptown is where they show love. Oh, so, my. all right, can we talk about, can we talk, I was waiting, I was waiting. We just right, had the magic we, word, Dykeman. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Look at the smile. Nah, nah, if, if you're, if, if you're. Lots if, of memories. If, if you're a loyal listener to Earn Your Leisure, you know how. We got good friends up there. Dykeman is a, is a, is a second home for us. Absolutely. The basketball tournament. We talk about the basketball tournament a lot because they Legendary. treat us. They love us there. Shout out to everybody there. We're actually about to do Chris Gotti's show Amazing. after this. Right after um, this. <laughs> so shout out. Out, shout out to Dykeman. But um, so it's east side, west side. So, <laughs> so, so on, the, on the east Fact side, <laughs> on the east side is the basketball court. On the west side by the water, that was La Marina. <laughs> so we never we didn't tell the stories about La Marina. Legendary if La you're Marina. from New York City, you know about La Marina. If not, you heard Fab, you was in La Marina all summer. You see you heard French pull up pull La, La Marina, Marina in a yacht. Boy. Woo! Woo! It was, Special. It made some easy captions on Instagram when they were making songs. <laughs> it just made me feel like I'm on top of the world even more. So we got we, we got we gonna get off track for one minute. You was the executive chef in La Marina. At its peak, La Marina was a beach. Best way I could describe Doc, it, it's like uh, a beachfront yeah. party restaurant. Yeah. It had everything. You yeah, had a, you had a just, beach. You had a, a lounge. You had food trucks. You had you had a live stage. Yeah, you, know, you had a live stage. Beautiful you had, women. You had a restaurant. Beautiful women. I got food. in trouble in La Marina. <laughs> food and trucks. I was just I was just yeah. cooking. So, <laughs> what? Can you just explain in a minute, like, yeah. what was the vibe in, in, in La Marina at that time? So I'll tell you two quick vibes. One was, imagine being the only sober person at a drunk party. <laughs> so when I was leaving work, kitchen closed at 12, I'm walking out, people are, I'm just like, well, I can't even catch up. There's no way I can catch up. We got an hour left. So it was always a problem with La Marina because they closed at one o'clock. Mm. But the blessing of La Marina also was 
that entire dykeman was packed Ooh, that because dyke, that that because of La Marina closing at one o'clock. So it was a blessing. Oh, dykeman bar, papacito. Oh, mama sushi, mama sushi, mama sushi. Shout out to mama sushi because those are one of the stories that I always love telling because they started small, eighteen seat restaurant. Bought the door next door to the right, then bought the bodega to the left, and yeah. now you got a 75 seat and restaurant. And then put f- seats outside. And then put seats outside, and then they're on their third, fourth location. God bless. Shout out to them. That, those mm-hmm. are the people that I inspire to be like, and I don't even have one location yet, but La Marina was a vibe. So not only the reason I worked there was because I used to party there a lot, and I jokingly around said in front of the wrong person, I wonder what it'd be like to work here. The opportunity presented itself, and still to this day, Shout out to Fernando Mateo. He's the owner of uh, Zona de Cuba, which is a dope spot. Oh, down the street? Yeah, and uh, uh, Zona de Cuba in, uh, in the Bronx. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bronx. yeah, yeah. He just yeah, opened yeah, up yeah. on top of a post office. Yeah, Super yeah. dope. I think he paid yeah, somebody. Yeah, it's, it's fire. I think he paid somebody because the moment I, again, I was living in Queens, traveling to Washington Heights. I got out the train station and somebody said, Chef Kelvin, welcome to Washington Heights. We've been waiting for you. There's no, <laughs> no way. There's no way. There's no way. Still to this day, I remember that. Um, but La Marina was just, it was, it was madness, and I like to say controlled madness. Um, it was the only time where I had a, uh, I had a walkie-talkie on, and I'm, com- I'm talking to my sous chefs through this walkie-talkie. Yo, the beach is going down. We need more French fries. All right, French fries <laughs> to the beach. I need two cooks to go to the beach. Right. Yo, French need some food on the yacht. French Brent. need some food. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony needs a, you know, a, a tomahawk steak. Like, we're going to make that happen. We're going to make that happen. <laughs> It was one of the ba- the greatest experiences ever. I had an amazing team. Like I said, Chef Trill, uh, Jose de Jesus, Chef Andy, who's the chef of uh, Suyo in the Bronx. Like, these are just guys that are talented. Elio, who's in a Michelin star restaurant in Manhattan. Like, th- that's what makes me proud because I feel like I'm a proud dad, even though we're all similar to age, you yeah. know? Nah, La Marina. La Marina's a vibe. Hey, but you you said that also on the business, you you turned it around, the, the kitchen around. Oh, man. Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was hard to come into a place that, this is why when making business decisions, it's hard for me to go to a place that already has an identity because it's hard to change either bad habits or it's hard to change something where people are used to. So when I got to La Marina, they already had a standard. They went through a couple different chefs. The food was not great. And the owners themselves said it. We don't need to really worry about the food. People are going to come for the view. And I said, what you're doing wrong is you're not giving them another reason to come. People mm. are going to come regardless. The view, the women, the parties, the artists, the Maseratis, the Ferraris, <laughs> the hookah, the hookah. <laughs> back then, hookah was hookah cash. Was hookah was just cash. Cash is king in the world. <laughs> now you don't find a hookah uptown because everybody got to put it on the books. <laughs> but it was such an experience where we learned. So my goal was to bring Chef Kelvin's food to an area that was not understanding it. So after being there for a full summer, I was able to turn around, lower the labor costs, lower the food costs increase the food sales i remember over almost like three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. and again we were only open seasonal so imagine what i could have done in a full year we didn't have the opportunities because it gets cold down there by that water so we did some great uh closed events we did some uh great weddings and uh 2015 2016 was uh, a year to remember for me for sure yeah you made it all right yeah we made it all right peter la marina yeah. we will miss you we will <laughs> never be forgotten go on but not forgotten that corner will never be the same never. it won't it never. won't it really won't even the strip is not the same anymore no, absolutely not, not. It, it's tough like even me i live in riverdale so i'm close to the madness but i haven't been out there in a while yeah it's not the same yeah 
Dímalo. It's all the Dominicans uptown, man. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love For that. Sure. You can't say coquito. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. Dímalo. <laughs> We've been saying it all summer. Don't worry. De los mío. All right. So in the last segment, we're going to go into what you got going on now and um, future endeavors. All right. So we're going to close it out with um, what you have going on now. Um, so I want to first I want to talk about uh, Last Lap. Last lap. So can you talk about so that's that was an establishment that was already open and you partnered, right? Yeah, last lap is uh is such a great vibe. It's a Caribbean vibe. It, it's true to like my heart, my soul. Um, shout out to the guys at Last Lap. Um, they're the reason I'm there. Uh, because when we started uh, just talking about it, you know, the vibe has got to be right. And these guys are young entrepreneurs doing their things, opening different establishments. There's going to be Last Lap LA. There's going to be Last Lap Miami. There's oh, opportunity to, to continue to grow. And those are the right people to do it with. And um, they were open. And I went to, um, I forgot to mention this. I went to uh, to France for three months. I lived in, in Lyon, France. Um, at one point when the Strand decided to close down, um, I got a nice... You're, you're a French trained chef, Classically right? French trained. I, yeah. I got a nice little severance check. And uh, at that moment, I, I did a cooking competition. Circle back again, 15 years. The same people that gave me a scholarship to go to high school gave me an opportunity to win a full scholarship to go to France and live all expense paid to go to a culinary school in France. So wow. here I am at 30-something years old going again, learning, schooling. You can never stop learning. So I'm the only guy um, who was in this class who didn't speak French. And here I'm trying to communicate with people, but thank God. That food is a universal language. Show me how to cut this, I will cut it the way you want it. Show me how to cook it, I will cook it the way you want it. Um, but the reason I didn't get involved with Last Lap right away was because I was out here doing this three-month stint in France. And um, I got back to Last Lap. We were doing some cool little Arepa Day vibes. Like, was there once a month, again, doing the pop-up. And it was always a successful sold-out night. We sat down, and uh, they made me a, a, a deal that I couldn't refuse. And they offered me a partnership. And... Um, I was able to establish my team there to make me feel comfortable to know that even though that I'm not there, the food is going to be great. So thanks to Chef David. Thanks for Chef Alex. Those guys have been with me for 10 plus years. And it's hard. Loyalty is is, is a hard thing to find. Um, and these guys uh, make me proud every single day. And one so, thing you said that was interesting is like you have like royalties, like it's like yeah. a royalty deal, right? So, you know, I watched them a Shark Tank. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> as a businessman, you got to learn, right? So, you know, I made them an offer of, you know, I wanted to make this much amount per arepa. And they said yes, and I should have asked for more. <laughs> but again, I'm not greedy. So, you know, I was I was just grateful for that opportunity. This is the, the first time that I've made a deal like that, and it's been it's been steady. You know, it's, I think it's, it's the only place that you can get your so that's Kelvin's only, kitchen. This is this is traditionally you could say Kelvin's kitchen, but in reality, it's the only place that you can get that's my food, you know, mm. aside from getting Kelvin himself with Kelvin's kitchen, you know. <laughs> okay. So um, you know, and, and, La, and last lap is a is a small rum bar. We got two floors. Um it gives you an opportunity to come have some amazing cocktails because they have a great mixology program. Um, and then you never know who's going to be there the same day that you're there. We, we've gotten a lot of celebrities from Rihanna to Michael B. Jordan to oh, wow. uh, the list goes on. We're, we're always on page six. So that's a great thing. That's dope. <laughs> so so like even though you're not there a lot um, cooking, but you have the recipe. So anytime your dish is sold or your, any dish is sold. You get a percentage of that. I get, yeah, I get a fee for each uh, arepa that's sold. Correct. What is a, a arepa? An arepa. That? <laughs> Say that again. Arepa. 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 There we go. Arepa. Yeah, got no, it's, no, it's not bad though. He said it better than uh, the people that said it on the on a few other shows. They're like arepa. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, we're not raping nobody. I'm like arepa, and it's tough because it just comes with with the culture and how how we learn. But an arepa is the dish that I be Bobby Flay with. An arepa is also the dish that I've won four years in a row, best chef in America with Forbes. 
So I have five different versions of the, these arepas, and we the only place you can find those is at Last Lap. So that's the signature star. We have a dish called Arepa Heaven, where you get 20 pieces of arepas, and it's all, all, all so, the so, different ones. So w- but what is it? So an arepa is traditionally like a corn cake, almost like, um, it's hard to describe. It's traditionally made with corn, flour, and water. Um, and I actually use fresh corn. Like cornbread? Kind of, sort of, but not really. Okay. And I'm going to say that because it's almost the same ingredients, except we're not baking it. We're not, you got to make a dough. Um, mm-hmm. And then traditionally the dough, the dough is griddled or like pan fried. I deep fry mine. So mm. you get that crispy texture. Uh, traditionally an arepa is stuffed. I put all of my toppings on top of it. So, and I make them mini. So you'll have like four arepas to an order. My traditional classic one is, the, we call it the award winner now because that's the one that beat Bobby Flay. Yeah. It's braised beef short rib, uh, guacamole, pico de gallo, lime scented sour cream, cotija cheese, micro cilantro. So you'll take it, you'll dip it in the sauce, you'll have it in one bite, and it's a party in your mouth. It, <laughs> it hits. It hits. Every, every sense that your palate, it's like sweet, salty, crispy, hot, cold, herbaceous, creamy, umami. You're like, Fuck did I just experience? You're like, I want, what was that? I want more. We pulling up the last lap. Last vibes. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, beating Bobby Flay with the dish. Now, I read this and maybe it's true or not, but prior to that, um, because you are French trained, and were you doing Latin foods prior to this? No, I wasn't doing Latin food until uh, I left the Strand Hotel the first time. I got an opportunity to open up a, a Latin restaurant, and that's how I created the arepas uh, at a restaurant called Blend on the Water. Mm. Um, so my goal was to go learn as much as I can about Latin food. I'll tell you 100%, I did not know what I was doing until I started asking my mom, asking my dad, going to, you know, Caracas, Caracas Arepa Bar, which is like the, was, or it still is, the number one Arepa Bar downtown in the Lower East Side. It had a line around the door, and I'm like, they must be doing something right. So I had their Arepa. I'm big on textures. It was good, but I'm like, how can I make this different, unique, and mine? So we went to the drawing board. And created the arepa. The original one that I have now was nowhere near the the, the first one I made. So, not everything I make was great. So <laughs> things take time. Things take practice. Um, and let's just say perfection they're, they're, takes time. Perfection takes time. Well yeah. said. So yeah. your J Lo and uh, A Rod's personal show. How did that? How did that come Oof. about? Shout out to Juval. This beautiful lady uh, was a fan of mine. Uh, five years ago, she came to one of my events. I did a, a pop-up event in Brooklyn. There was a restaurant called SDQ. It was also like a lounge. Um, and she came to my event, and uh, I treated her the way I treat everybody. Like, I know you for 10 years, and you say hi to me. I'm going to give you a hug. If you show me pictures from last birthdays that you came to celebrate with me, that makes me even more special. Um, so I treated her like I treat everybody. We have a conversation. We'll talk about it. What made you come here? Have you had my food before? Um, five years later, fast forward, she's JLo's personal assistant mm. and, um, an opportunity presented itself where the chef that they've had for 10 years couldn't do uh, Thanksgiving weekend. And she's like, I know this chef. I don't know him personally, but I've had his food. He's great with kids. He's great with blah, 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 this, this, that opportunity came, presented itself. I hit a home run and let's say for a rod, I hit a grand slam. <laughs> and, um, since then, uh, they hit me up for every time they need something, whether it's uh, a birthday party for their kids, whether it's Memorial Day in the Hamptons, whether it's Christmas in Miami, which I'm going next in a couple weeks, and then New Year's Eve in L.A. I'm, I'm blessed to say that anywhere they need me, I go. You know, a personal chef is actually a good investment. Something that I'm going to look into in the new year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know a guy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I always said, like a personal trainer Absolutely. and a personal chef. Those are good investments. 100%. I have two. You're investing in your huh? mind. I got two. 
You have two? Yeah, personal chefs. You have oh, he's talking about his yeah, wife. Yeah. His wife. Oh. Has <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, well, that's that's a good investment. <laughs> you're focusing. I might be investing. <laughs> <laughs> you're investing in your mind, body, and Shady, soul. Shady, you better say two. that. You better say that. Man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nah, especially because it's like when well, you want to run a lot. You, you can't cook. Like, you don't have time to cook. You Especially, don't. like, you know, you got dietary restrictions. I'm trying to go vegan. So it's God like... Stop dating a girl because she was vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's tough. I'm, I'm a chef, man. I'll be in one hundred seven, and I try. You could be a I, vegan I, chef, not, but I'm, I, I can't. I can be a vegan chef, but I can't be a vegan chef. <laughs> I, I can't be a vegan chef, and I tried it. Like we dated a couple years ago, went on a couple dates, and I was vegan when I, I took a, some of the best Michelin star restaurants that were vegan. And I'm like, where's the fucking steak? <laughs> I need steak. Oh my god! And then yo, I would take a home. And I'll go get a burger or something. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. I'm eating twice. I'm spending double the money. Uh, it's not going to work out. It's just not going to work out. It's just not going to work out. And I, I laugh about it now. Yo, why take you so long to get home? Ah, oh, man, not traffic. No, traffic. I'll right? stop the Burger King. No, <laughs> shout out to you. That's that's not easy. And like, nah, nah. I have some vegan friends that they hold me to it. And like even doing this event on the 19th and the 20th, I had to put a vegetarian menu because I know so many people that support um, Grizel and, and and support her are all vegetarians and vegans, so I got to make sure that that offers. And, and that's another lane too, especially like um, there's so many uh, athletes and entertainers yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and just you know high level business people that like personal chefs is like a whole another lane. It's a it's a it's definitely a world in its own, but it, it takes a special type of person to do that uh, because at the end of the day, you sacrifice your entire life. Mm. Not alone just the cooking to to the person that you're working with, yeah. and because they they they're requiring their needs are a lot different than any other cook chef. You're or like their their beck and call. Yeah, at them. all times, and that's yeah. why I when I decided to do personal chefing, I had my own requirements and restrictions. And it's like one, I would never stay at the person's house. I would need my own hotel because I tried it once, and no matter what, I'm staying in a twenty million dollar house. I can't sleep in a bed knowing that I work downstairs or. Um, imagine I always joke around. Imagine I'm hungry and I'm gonna go make a grilled cheese sandwich at one o'clock in the morning, and somebody says, "Can you make me one too?" <laughs> Fucking kitchen is closed, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I would make it gladly. Did you hear about? Did, 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 <laughs> but that's just something I always joke around did, with. Did, did you hear? Did you hear about Diddy's story with his personal chef? No, nah, I didn't hear Diddy's story. Not I can it. imagine Diddy's story. <laughs> We'll tell you off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Shout, no, it's, shout it's, 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 shout it's, nah, it got crazy. It got nah, crazy. It got- yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the branding? Uh, because obviously you have you've done an amazing job on social media doing that, and it's led to some deals with Infinity oh, and Wells Fargo. You blessings on blessings. Um, and again, these are things that I tell people. They're always asking me, "How did you get so many followers? How did you do this?" And I was like, "I am giving you what I'm saying. I'm giving you. So if I'm a, a chef page, I'm gonna give you food. I'm gonna give you things that are related to mm-hmm. chefs. I'm gonna give you." Some tips. I'm gonna give you some recipes. I'm gonna not be afraid. The only thing I'm not gonna give you is my coquito recipe and my arepa <laughs> recipe. So guys, I love you to death. Just stop asking. Anything that I make money on, I can't give you. Um, but again, it's one of those things where you have to stay true to what you're trying to sell, what you're trying to do, and who you're trying to be. So I am Chef Kelvin. My Instagram is Chef Kelvin, and I'm gonna give you everything that has to do with food. Instagram stories are a little bit different. You can get a little bit more personal. You can show traveling. You can show family. You can show friends. But at the end of the day, I'm giving you what I promised that I was going to give you. You have to stay consistent. And at the end of the day, you have to make sure that what you put on your feed is true to you. 
and you can't be afraid to post because you're not going to get a lot of likes. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit happy with the whole, you know, removing likes because at the end of the day, you'll know still that someone is getting a lot of uh, insights and a lot of people coming to them when the comments are there because you can tell when someone has a real $50,000 following and someone has a bought 50,000 following. You can have... 10,000 likes, but if you have two comments, something's wrong. Your engagement's off. Engagement's completely off, yeah. you know, because if I post something and I'm going to get 1,000 likes, I'm going to get 100 comments. And it's um that's something I learned early on as far as social media. A friend of mine told me that um you, sh- you should be able to look at somebody's page without reading their bio and know mm-hmm. what they do. 100%. Agree. Without reading In their bio. In your bio, it should say everything that you do and your, well, you can't say everything because then my, my uh, characters will run out right away. But you would have to say, in your bio, you would say, who you are, what you do, and... But I'm saying they should be able to tell without reading your bio. Absolutely agree. So it's like a lot of times people do all kinds of random nonsense, pictures and memes, and it's like... What's happening? What are we here for? What's going on? The message is confused. I'm confused. I'm confused. If it's there for fun, then cool. Yeah. But if it's for business, you can't do that. You can't. You got to sacrifice that and... This page is like a reflection of like how people are going to look at your business. I like, I like the way you said that. Without reading your bio, you should be able to tell just by looking at yeah. pictures. See, I, and I learned that. I even tried doing like a personal page, and that didn't work because I had no time to let alone post <laughs> on one page. This is your personal life. Yeah, this yeah. is my personal life. My <laughs> life is food. Yeah. So stop with the personal stuff. If you know me on a personal level, you know that you get the same guy that you get as a chef level. You know, But building that brand, you have to learn that it takes time. You have to be patient. Yeah. Um, you can't rush for the likes. And I know that now because I just started YouTube and I'm hitting up one of my friends who has been an expert on YouTube and she's done multiple videos and I'm, I'm reaching out to her. I'm like, but if I put it on Instagram, I'll get 50,000 likes. But if I put it on YouTube, I only have 1,000 likes. She says, you have to wait. You have to be patient. Yeah. And I learned and I'm like, not we're not patient in this world. We don't even read in this world. And I learned that because I get my car told on a regular basis. Um, and I can't get mad at clients. I'm being dead honest. I, I get, I'm like, oh, can I park here? It's like six signs. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I forgot the last one. Um, and I get mad at clients when I'll give you all the information. Like, for example, to purchase my Coquito, you got to send an email to coquitosbychefkelvin at gmail.com. You say hello. You can say all the information you want. You're going to automatically get a response that says, Thank you for your inquiry. Here's the product. Here's how much it costs. Here's the size of the bottle. Here's how we can deliver. Here's forms of payment. Everything that you can ever ask me. First question How, how much? much is the bottle? No, how much? <laughs> yeah. Happens all the time. The, uh, all the information you need is in the, in the last, yeah. in the last email. <laughs> and you have to be patient. So you have to be patient in all sides of life. So even now that, you know, 10 years, 15 years, I'm going to say now, when I turn 35 in July, I'm going to be cooking for 20 years. So building this brand for 20 years, everything that I've wanted is happening right now at this moment. Um, brand deals with Infinity. You know, I'm, I have an awesome commercial that's coming out where I'm honored to know that Infinity, that luxury brand, wants to follow me around for a day and tell my story. And it's going to be an awesome commercial. Can't wait to share that. Um, you know, I'm a chef and, uh, you know, with the Institute of Culinary Education, even though that's not my alma mater, I am so happy to be with them. They give me an opportunity to tell my story on blog posts, um, to use their kitchen for YouTube shows, for if I want to shoot a book, if I want to just come in and, and prep for an event. So I'm grateful for people like that, that believe in me, believe in the brand and, and help me take my career to a level that I wouldn't have imagined of doing. So I think it's important. And as you mentioned, you know, companies like Wells Fargo to see my Instagram page and say, you know, we want to partner up and collab with this guy because what he's doing is positive. Mm -hmm. So I know that he can be the right guy that will share our message. And I'm always smiling. So I have people say I have a million dollar smile. (laughs) 
it comes it comes with making people happy. It is. Chef Calvin, man, we want to thank you for coming. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um anything you want to tell the people, your Instagram, your social media, anything you got coming up? Absolutely, like man. I appreciate you guys for having me, letting me tell my story on a whole different platform uh, cuz I'm able to tell people my story and inspire. So I always say if I can inspire one person from one thing that I do per day, my, my job is done. Uh, most important thing is if I can offer some people advice that want to become a young entrepreneur is back to what I said. Surround yourself by greatness. Don't be afraid of uh, not making a lot of money now. Don't chase the money. The money will come chasing you. Um, I'm at a point in my career where I can greatly say that I'm turning down gigs because there's just so many things coming in. So as uh, the team expands, um, I'm looking forward to growing my YouTube show. Um, Starting my cookbook in January and uh, cookbook summer cookbook yeah, yeah dope, cookbook. dope yeah. dope that's number one thing it's it's cookbook and cooking classes so I'm gonna try to get back on the cooking classes looking for a venue um, all my social media is Chef Kelvin C H E F K E L V I N uh, don't look at my page after midnight you're only gonna make yourself <laughs> hungry <I apologize laughs> in advance but thank you guys for having me nah thank you, you man Troy housekeeping items yeah shout out to everybody on Patreon.com y'all know that's our proud to pay program. Um, the support, the support on there has been tremendous, man, and it's beautiful. We got to actually get to speak and and, and engage with some of our patrons, and, and the list keeps growing. So shout out to everybody that's supporting that. You know that if you are a tier four or five member, you are access to uh, Earn Your Leisure University, which is our online school. Uh, shout out to wearing the merch. Shout out to everybody. Hey. Yo, the merch has been moving re- like crazy, man. We started like, our own school. We we uh, put up the merch. And, <laughs> The sales were out, out out the door, man, the first day. So shout out to everybody that's purchased the merch. Um, yeah, man, you want to talk about Ernie University? Yeah, Ernie University, we about to actually do a class like right now. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, He's it's not three, joking. It's three, it's three classes every single week. Um, we do a real estate class on Monday. We do a floating class on Wednesday. Um, me and Troy do a class every Thursday. And starting in the new year, we're going to have uh, EYL Espanol. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, you know, we, um, it's interactive, it's Zoom, you get to ask questions. It's really dope. It's a really dope experience. And, um, yeah, don't forget Atlanta, Atlanta, VIP experience. Um, we are coming January 25th, 25th and 26th. It's going to be crazy. Live podcast, networking event, open bar, uh, dinner, and then we're going to have a workshop the next day. Alumni is going to be there. We're going to be there. It's going to be a whole vibe. So, events tab on our website, earnyourleisure.com. Don't play yourself. Nah, 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 nah. For real. On, Atlanta, we, got, we can't wait to touch the town for sure. And the book tip of this week is Kitchen Confidential by the late, great Anthony Bardane. Rest, Rest in, in peace. peace. For sure. So, I thought that would be fitting. Chef recommended that book himself. So, he's read it four times. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's it. Uh, thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.